All right. Um, I'm Veronica. This is Alex. I don't know if everybody knows that, us. Um, we, I think we're known for picking challenging topics to talk about. <laughs> but uh, we're going to talk about peace, and I just want to start in, uh, with a prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you that we can get together here this morning and learn about you and worship you and just be in your presence, Lord. And I pray that uh, you'd bless this morning and speak to everyone this morning and that you'd give us your peace that the world cannot give us, but um, the kind of peace that only comes from you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So peace, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about peace. Is it that warm, fuzzy feeling that comes up once you have all the Christmas decorations up? Or when I sit down in my fuzzy, warm Christmas sweater and have a hot chocolate topped with marshmallows? Is that the kind of peace, calm feeling? Is that what peace means? Or is it simply the absence of war or conflict? So we, we thought about that a bit over the last weeks, and um, statistics say that, especially on Christmas time, uh, when the family gets together, often yeah, there's a lot more argument and conflict. So old arguments come up as you get together, or I don't know, what, what are the kind of things you, you argue about around Christmas? Maybe where to spend the Christmas holidays is it with, with Alex's family or with my family, or where and when or how they should, uh, the kids should behave, or certain expectations around uh, uh, presence. Um, but it's a lot more than that. And today we want to explore what peace means in an increasingly polarized world and how Jesus would react or how he reacted in situations of conflict. Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm going to pass it over to Alex. So in, in John 16, 33, this is just shortly before his arrest, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But, you know, scrolling my Twitter feed this morning, I can't see how that's true. I didn't see any trouble in the world there. Actually, so a recent report called Far and Widening, the Rise of Polarization in Canada, polled young adults to gauge the change in sentiment, and they found that Canadians, like in many other countries, are increasingly becoming polarized. And the report concluded by saying that Canadians are angry, and they're, they're picking sides, they're increasingly segmenting themselves into, into clusters of, they called it comforting rage. And, and, and we see it around us, unfortunately. You know, we see... Um, a conflict with the West, almost a new Western separatist movement. Uh, we see political leaders quick to label people with opposing views as racist or misogynist or some other term. Our Prime Minister even publicly questioned whether we should tolerate these people. Um, the introduction of, of gender ideology or topics or whatever you want to call it into schools spawned nationwide protests and public figures decry the protests as hate movements. The pandemic, or rather the response to the pandemic, was perhaps the most polarizing event of all. And, and I haven't even mentioned the war in Israel yet. 
So we thought we'd talk about each of these today. No, 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 no. So, so while it may be difficult to talk about peace and peacemaking in our current world, there's rarely been a time when it's been so important to do just that. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who live in peace. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. So during our pre preparation, I was reminded of a definition or a description of peace from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologist. And uh, I want to quote some of his words. He said, how does peace come about? Through a system of political treaties, through the investment of international capital in different countries, or through big banks, through money, or through universal peaceful rearmament in order to guarantee peace, through none of these. For the single reason that in all of them, peace is confused with safety, and there's no way to peace along the way of safety. For peace must be dared. It is a great venture. It can never be made safe. Peace is the opposite of security, and to demand guarantees is to mistrust, and this mistrust in turn brings forth war. A bit about the context of, of these words. Um, Bonhoeffer said this at an international church conference in Denmark in 1934, and that was already at the brink of the, the rise of the Nazis, so he, he spoke up and said, we need to fight for peace. And unfortunately, um, this call would be ignored. And not much later, the German Christian church also capitulated to the Nazis. And as you probably know, Bonhoeffer then later was arrested and executed in 45. So it, it really took some courage to speak up. But I also want to share, let's say, a positive um, memory of mine um, related to peace and uh, how important it is to dare for it and fight for it. So as you might know, I grew up in East Germany. and. Um, you probably know that um, Germany was uh, peacefully reunited in 89. And I don't know if many of you know that this actually started with a prayer movement. It was called the Montagsgebet, so the prayer Monday night in the Nikolaikirche in the church in Leipzig, where people would get together and say, we need to pray for peace. And um, this turned into a big movement and actually pushed towards the peaceful revolution and reunification of Germany. So very thankful for that. And I would not be standing here today because I would not have been able to uh, travel internationally or even go to university. So um, we are called to be peacemakers in this world, in this broken and polarized world. And we long for wisdom that will keep us grounded in our faith in the midst of churning times. We would thought that um, we'd now take a closer look at some stories from the life of Jesus so that we can draw some principles 
uh, from his perfect example of how to be a peacemaker. And so we, we wanted to take a direct look at the life of Jesus and, and try and understand how he calls us to be peacemakers. And so when we were doing that, many different stories came to mind. One was when he defended the woman caught in adultery from the Pharisees, and he challenged them with the command, let him is who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her, before also challenging her to go and from now on sin no more. Or when the Pharisees plotted to entrap him with the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he escaped their trap with the reply, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Or when the soldiers, chief priests, and Pharisees came to arrest him in the garden, and he healed the ear of the high priest's servant that Peter had struck with the sword. And while the time may be too short to read all of those stories today, we would like to read a few accounts directly from Jesus' life that may be lesser known. Uh, so we'll begin with the story of the money changers in the temple in John 2, 13 to 17, in case you want to follow along. Yeah, so in John 2, verse 13, it says, It was nearly time for the Jewish, Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers coins over the floor and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get th these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures passion for God's house will consume me. The next story we'd like to read you can find in Mark 3 verses 1 to 6 where he speaks about a man healed on the Sabbath. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man once, once again held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot, plot how to kill Jesus. And finally we'll look at the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, which you can find in Luke 19 verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. 
He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside a road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to the house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and I will have and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a, a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. So we wanted to take a look at all six of those stories that we mentioned uh, to understand how Jesus handles situations of conflict and to see what insights we could draw. And while there are many different insights you could draw, we would like to focus on three particular ways in which Jesus exemplifies for us how to be peacemakers. The first is that Jesus sees the individual. Unlike the world, Jesus does not judge based on societal categories or outward appearances. In the crowded streets of Jericho, he encountered a man named Zacchaeus, a tax collector known for his bad practices. And society had cast him aside, but the Lord, in his divine compassion, looked beyond the earthly categories that had caused Zacchaeus to be shunned. He saw a man yearning for something more, seeking redemption. Likewise, in the story of the woman caught in adultery, Jesus saw a sinner, but he also saw an individual in need of compassion. The religious leaders eager to condemn her had brought her before Jesus. And in the face of judgment, Jesus responded with a challenge. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. And in this he demonstrated a radical approach to conflict resolution, one that emphasizes mercy while also striving to regain the path of righteousness. And as peacemakers, we're called to embody this radical mercy, recognizing our shared humanity and frailty, while also striving to uphold his godly standards. Psalm 85, verses 9 and 10, puts it like this. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. These encounters teach us the essence of peacemaking, to see individuals through the lens of Christ, beyond societal judgments and preconceived notions. As we aim to be peacemakers, let us strive to see beyond labels and beyond categories and recognizing that every person is made in the image of God. Secondly, Jesus speaks truth into the darkness. In the story of the money changers, the temple, a sacred space meant for worship, had been defiled by money changers and merchants. And Jesus, consumed by righteous anger, overturned tables and drove out those exploiting the sanctity of that holy place. And Jesus spoke truth fearlessly. He confronted corruption 
exposed hypocrisy, and challenged empty ritual. Similarly, Jesus confronted the religious leaders about their adherence to traditions while neglecting the matters of the Spirit. His words challenge us to assess our own lives. Are we too ensnared by traditions or habits that hinder our connection with God or with others? In the temple and in, pub and in public, Jesus spoke truth fearlessly. And as peacemakers, we must have the courage to speak and to live biblical truth amidst the conflicts amongst, around us. What struck me as I reread these passages were the number of times that the Pharisees tried to set traps for Jesus. When they asked him about paying taxes, when he healed the man on the Sabbath, even when they brought the, man, uh, the woman caught in adultery to him, all of these cases, they were intended to be traps. And yet in each case, Jesus found a way to speak truth while also not falling prey to their trap. And that would be my prayer for us as well, that the Holy Spirit would guide us as to how we can speak truth into the darkness around us. And finally, Jesus' reaction is based on the person's heart. You might have noticed that Jesus' reactions to the people in these stories, this, his reactions span a very broad range. To the woman caught in adultery, he shows mercy and he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on sin no more. But to the Pharisees, he says, You hypocrites! This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. To Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who cheated people out of money, he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And yet he drives the money changers out of the temple with a whip. We see a clue for the reason behind these different reactions when he heals the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. He asks the Pharisees that were gathered there, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. It seems Jesus' reactions were dependent on the condition of the person's heart. In Zacchaeus and the woman caught in adultery, he, he saw hearts seeking redemption. And in the Pharisees, Pharisees, he saw hearts seeking revenge. As peacemakers, we're called to react based on the heart, and we're called to speak truth in different ways. But it's not so simple. Unlike Jesus, we're not omniscient. We don't always know the condition of a person's heart. And unlike Jesus, we're not perfect. And it's often us that is the one in need of redemption and correction. And thus, we need to err on the side of grace. We need to err on the side of compassion. So peace also starts in our own hearts. So where do we get our inner peace from? Aren't we often restless? Or frustrated? Or never satisfied? So it's not so easy to, to find that inner peace. So how can we be peacemakers or resolve conflicts where we're not even at peace? with ourselves, when we can forgive ourselves about things that have happened or things that we have said or opportunities that we have missed, 
And we know that when we're not at peace in our hearts, that affects our surroundings as well. And maybe that applies more to us ladies, but I, I feel like if we're not at peace, it affects our whole daily life. Yeah, so if you're as a wife or mom, if you're stressed or depressed, the whole family suffers. So I think we women set a lot more often that emotional tone in a family. It might be different in your case, but uh, I think many times it's like that. And if we make an effort to seek that inner peace, we affect our surroundings as well. In Philippians 4, verse 7, 6 and 7, it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus wants to give us peace, and not a, a peace that the world can give us. In Jesus, we can find peace that surpasses everything else, that we don't find anywhere else. When we meet him at the cross, he takes the burden off our shoulders. He's the king of peace. He forgives our regrets, our sins, our pains, our frustrations, and he shows grace like no other. Recently, I've been struggling with, um, with certain things in my life that don't give me peace. I can't find peace over certain things that um, have happened or are happening in my life. But Jesus calls us to the feet of his cross. And he wants to give us that inner peace despite all the circumstances. And that peace is really rooted in forgiveness and also forgiveness of ourselves. And he wants to lift us up and make us whole. In Colossians 3 verse 15, it says, and I think we've heard this once before today, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and advise one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. And sometimes it might not be something we look forward to or we say, yay, conflict re uh, resolution, it's so much fun. But um, it's so important that we speak truth and that we seek peace in our relationships and our interactions with others. And Jesus demonstrated this for us and how, how to do that, by seeing the individual, by speaking truth into darkness, and reacting based on the person's heart. But we can only do so if we are connected to the source of peace.
let us uh, close in prayer. Lord, we pray that you teach us what it means to be peacemakers in this world. And I pray that you would give us wisdom when to speak and what to speak. Give us grace and love in the interactions with others, especially when we disagree. And Lord, we want to fix our minds and our hearts on you and trust you. And we pray that you would fill us with joy and peace so that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we may be abound with hope. Guard our hearts and give us the strength to live a life marked by your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.